0: Hello, hello, this is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Okay, so before I introduce the guest, I want to ask you guys a quick favor. I promise it will only take a minute. If you can please go to iTunes, give me a five-star rating, a short, short review. Glowing, of course, would be preferable. I would really appreciate it. Today on the podcast, Lauren Gellert. If you've been in the industry a while, you've probably worked with Lauren. Maybe you've pitched her, or you may have even been pitched by her. So today, you're going to hear how Lauren went from an aspiring choreographer to getting her TV education at VH1, to Craig Polygian pushing her over the edge at True TV, and to her current job as EVP of development and programming at WeTV. Lots of good lessons baked in along the way on this one. So pay attention. Okay. We're good, all right. <laughs> We're live. Well, kind of live, not really live, right? We're at your gorgeous suite in the Four Seasons, living the life, <laughs> living the life, drinking a lot of tea and coffee. Exactly, awesome. So you're in town from New York,
1: as you are a lot. I am. I'm here at least, I'd say every five, six weeks. Okay. Do you maybe, like it here? Maybe less. Um, I do. I I I love LA. I also have family here oh, and nice. very close friends here, so you know. I do. I like coming out here. I do. Nice. Well, but yeah. I'm not moving here quite yeah. yet. <laughs> That's not happening. No. Yeah, you're, we were
0: just talking about you're in Ch- lovely Chappaqua. Yes, yes.
1: Up in Westchester. It's a lot of fun. How do you like the winters? I am a fan. We actually, we renamed our town Chaspin in my family because <laughs> the winters in Chappaqua feel a little bit like Aspen in our backyard. And while we're not skiing, we are enjoying uh, some beautiful, beautiful snowfalls. I mean, if you're into that,
0: the East Coast is great. <laughs> you're exactly. not into the cold, as I'm not. You're not into the cold. <laughs> not, don't move there. <laughs> <laughs> not fun. So I always start by saying how I know my guests, and I was thinking about it on the ride over here that you and I have known each other a long time, very long time. So we overlapped at VH1. You were at 1515, which was yes. sort of like the mothership, and I was at 1633. I think I sort of knew of you. I don't know if we interacted, but I knew you. My, you knew my boss Susan Horowitz. Yes. Who I ended up starting a business with a few years later. So that was like where the connection was made. Well, I was like, wait, I think I
1: do know Lauren Geller. Yes, And yes. you were at Court TV. I was, I was. I was at VH1 for my early years, 97 uh, right. to 2004. I like to say I grew up there. Yeah, and with then, Eli Lair and Corey Abraham. Yes, and before them with Jane Lipsitz and Lauren Zelaznik and Jeff Gaspin oh, like and really? Jerry Leo yeah. and Noel Siegel. And, oh my God, There's like, th- there's many, many... Um, I had five bosses and three regimes in my eight years at VH1. Who was the regime when you left? When I left, it was Brian Graydon. Right. Okay. God, so many people have, like in our business have gone in and out of there and yes. gone on to good things. Yes. It was great, right? I loved it there. I loved it. I still look back on that time as um, my childhood in TV. Right. Um, And I, you know, I mean, I remember working on Storytellers and, you know, pulling footage for people and just getting to do some super cool things like be the Rolling Stones talent guide for the VH1 Vogue Fashion Awards. I mean, really like fun, young, cool things. 100%, I always say it
0: was the best job I ever had because, I, same thing, like I was, you mentioned storytellers, you see my feet in so many of those pictures of Lenny Kravitz, Alanis Morissette, cause you Loved know, you it. get the perks of sitting
1: right there, yep. and then the next day I'll be interviewing
0: them, it was like a dream
1: job. Yes, we have photos in my basement of my then boyfriend, now husband and I in the audience with Lenny Kravitz and Stevie Nicks and a few others. That's so funny, so we were both at Lenny's. Yes, so so Lenny I met crazy. Lenny after
0: the show that <laughs> night, and he was like on you know he was high from like yeah. so happy it was a great brilliant. show brilliant next day he shows up two and a half hours late to the interview I'm like you asshole of course <laughs> yeah totally hungover, not apologetic <laughs> I'm like oh ah, this is the rock star Life I know and love. Exactly. So before, so I, I didn't know you went to Northwestern until I read I up. Did. On I did. I graduated path. from
1: Northwestern. Yeah, yeah. I went to grad school there. You did? Yeah. Did you oh. go to Medell? No. I was a dance major. Really? At Northwestern. Oh. As a matter of fact, I transferred to Northwestern to be a dance major. Really? Because it was so important to me. Where did you transfer from? Um, university of Vermont, which I still call my college, even though Northwestern was my university. Because yeah. Because my besties are all from my UVM days. Ooh, we have to talk off mic about that. I bet, you know, we know a lot of the same people. <laughs> yes. One of my good friends went there too. Yeah, I loved it. I did. But I loved Northwestern for, um, I I worked hard there. I worked really hard there. Did you think you were going to be a dancer? I thought I was going to be a choreographer. Really? And when I went back to New York, I had a goal of working for the Tony Award winning choreographer of the moment, which was Susan Stroman, who had just won for Showboat, and was going to be working on the musical Big. And I found my way to working for her. Wait, did she do The Producers? Is that the same? She did, yeah. Yeah, she's yeah. huge. Yeah, she's huge now. She Then she <laughs> was the choreographer, not the director. Now she's both. Amazing. But she... When she was a choreographer back then, she was actually married to a guy named, I think his name was Mike Ostrom or something like that. And she was, we going to have to fact check his last name, <laughs> but he, she and he were married and he was the director for the musical Big and she was the choreographer and I was going to figure out how I was going to work for her. And I did. Um, so so how did was, you, how? That was pure networking skills. That was, um... You know, I did the traditional, I'll apply for the mentorship program through the SSDC, the Stage Directors and Choreographers Association, you know, get a mentorship with her. And of course she interviewed me and didn't choose me as the mentee, (laughs) but I was like, well, I'm still going to work for you. So I realized through my research um, in New York that, and I was working for different musical theater projects and finding my way to doing different things within dance and musical theater. And I was looking at who the producers were of Big the Musical. And a guy's name came up, Ken Greenblatt. And I'm like, huh, is that the same Ken Greenblatt whose kids went to Camp Sequoia? I think it's possible. Wow. And I went to Camp Sequoia and my sister was in Ken Greenblatt's daughter's bunk. See, it all comes back to Jewish geography. It does. (laughs) I called my sister. I said, call your friend Lenny Greenblatt. I need to meet with her father. And I went over to Fashion Avenue on 7th Avenue to meet Kenny Greenblatt, who was a total rag business guy who was a big fan of musical theater and liked to invest in and produce musical theater on the side and had done a few Broadway projects. And his office, you know, among the manufacturing business, had all these big Broadway posters. And and he said, what can I do for you? And you know my kids. And I said, you can get me a job with Susan Stroman. And he did. And I went and worked for the Friedberg Company, who was his producing partner, who was actually the Broadway producer, Jim Friedberg. And then a few times a week, I would get Susan her Diet Cokes and sit on the Schubert stage and stand under a light once in a while. And I realized pretty quickly I was not going to make a living (laughs) doing this. (laughs) Did you enjoy it, though? I, I loved being around the Broadway theater and yeah. I loved opening night and I loved, you know, everything about the FAO Schwartz opening night party. And oh, that <laughs> which must was have amazing. been a blast. Did you get to do the piano. Yes, we did the piano. <laughs> and it was it was surreal and doing the previews and listening to the notes and things like that. But I knew while I was a dance major, I wasn't a technical dancer who was a performer. I really wanted to choreograph. I really wanted to tell people what to do. Shocker. <laughs> and um, and so I. I realized pretty quickly in working in Jim's office, you know, I also helped out with accounting and I also helped out with um, some of the newer um, producers that were being housed there and reading scripts and doing coverage. And, you know, then somebody was all of a sudden doing an independent film and I was working on the independent film. And so I I learned a lot. And one of the things I learned was that this was not for me, but I (laughs) found my way to television because of it, because I hadn't given up on the choreography thing I somehow befriended Tony Roberts, the actor. Wow. Um, and that was through, again, my networking skills because I wanted to meet Rob Marshall, who was the choreographer of Victor Victoria at wow. the time.
0: Yeah, I went on to do Chicago.
1: Exactly, yeah. but this was before that, right? Yeah. And, um, and so, Tony became a bit of a mentor to me. And after he would do Victor Victoria, I would go and sit with him at Joe Allen and talk and, you know, and eventually I would dog sit for Max. His dog who was named after his character in Annie Hall. I was just going to say for the kids who don't yeah. know who he is, go see Annie Hall. Exactly. He was a major, well, love, major New yeah, York actor major. and big Broadway actor too. Um, and Tony one day said to me, what are you doing, Lauren? I mean, we were literally (laughs) sitting at his kitchen table and he said, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I I just, I don't see what you're doing here. You really need to be doing something every day. You really need to be figuring something out. I have a friend who's coming. She's going to be starting up a TV network and I think you should talk to her. I think you should go work for her. And she was starting up a network called um, WBIS. Dow Jones and ITTT had bought a local station s plus tagline was sports money and oh yeah life and it was a a (laughs) total local place give me a year that was 1996 okay 1996 and um i went and got a pa job working on money style and power was the name of the show and um i was gonna be a pa and it was a two hour five day a week live to tape, daily um, talk show geared toward women who you were probably hoping were working women on bed rest because it was on at 10 o'clock in the morning. So
0: <laughs> if, yeah, right? if they weren't on bed rest and having a
1: baby and they didn't have a TV in their office, I'm not sure how they were going to watch this show. Very small demo. Very small demo. But I, I grew there. Honey.
0: Yeah. So you found like... I found TV. Yeah. Like it felt more like you... Than the Broadway thing
1: had been? I think it felt more like a paycheck. (laughs) And it was a real paycheck and a real job and every day. And it was hard because it was 9 a.m. to sometimes 4 a.m. because it was a lot of work for us. We were a small, small staff. Carol um, Martin and Josh Binswanger were the co-hosts. And there was one field producer and um, almost never an avid. Right. Those kind of jobs are so great. I came up in news.
0: And first of all, people, I mean, live to tape is just for people who know, it's basically the same thing as live, although mm-hmm. if you have to, you can edit it later. But you, the, you you act as if it's live. Correct. And that kind of trial by fire and having to do sort of, you know, the broadcast news style, you know, VHS tape in at the
1: last second, like there's no better training than that. No, it was great. It was great. And I learned how to be a field producer because they wanted um I started to develop a segment at the end of the show called On the Verge, something (laughs) up and coming around New York, something young and hot and cool. right? Right. And so I, I, oh, yeah, I know how to do that. And I, you know, just learned to go out with a crew and collect footage and, you know, what is B-roll? I learned all of that. Did you learn how to edit? I didn't learn how to edit, but I did get introduced to the Avid. And it was actually my introduction to the Avid that led me to VH1 because the Avid editor was a guy named Ronnie Barron. And it was Ronnie, he had a brother too, but I think it was Ronnie Barron and he knew Jane Lipsitz. And Jane was looking for a PA in the development department at VH1 and that was in 1997. That's,
0: isn't it amazing that everything leads to something else? I mean, I know that's obvious, but you just never know. You never know. Absolutely. I mean, that was really, and that's how I ended up at VH1. So for those who don't know, Jane Lipsitz was um, one of the big shots at VH1 back in the day and then went on to start Magical Elves, which is, you know, a hugely prolific production company in Mm -hmm. LA with um, Dan.
1: Cutforth. Cutforth. And she's Dan at She started 20? it. Well, this is what happened. She started it with Dan Cutforth after they did a show together, which we were all involved with called Bands on the Run. And they met because Dan pitched Bands on the Run to Jane, and Jane was the head of development at the time. And they did that show. And then Dan left to start the company. Uh Jane left to start the company with Dan after that.
0: Yeah. Bands on the Run should come back. That was, I, so, it right? was a great show. Great show. Great show. So fun. Um, okay, so
1: then how, so did you work for Jane the whole time that you were at VH1? No. So I was hired by Jane in 97 as the PA in the development department. And um, I grew up there, like I said. And um, at that time, it was Jane and Lauren Zelaznick and Jeff was running the channel. Wong John Sykes was the president. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Jane went out to L.A. and actually invited me to join her in Los Angeles, but I was just getting engaged, so I didn't. Um, And then I kind of worked between New York and L.A. Sometimes I would come out here for pilots and different things. And, um, And then eventually Jane left to start the company with Dan. And the next boss I had there... I think was Rob Weiss. Oh, yeah. Which was, a, that was a crazy time, but that was the time when Corey came back and to New York and yeah. Eli came and Ethan Goldman was there and he, he was there with me with Lawrence Lasnick, but then he grew up a little bit there and we had a great crew, Danny Passman. Wow. Ben Leventhal. Um, great crew really what happened to Jordan Harmon I didn't know Jordan Harmon was there yes we were all there together Wow. Alex Campbell I mean it was really a big crew um, did Rob I know Rob, Rob Weiss went to I don't know he went to TV. do a variety of different things I'm right. not sure what production he's doing production company now. at some point yeah well yeah. he originally before his job at VH1 he was Buccieri and Weiss Paul Buccieri and Rob Weiss were partners back in the day who knew right it sounds
0: like a law firm exactly <laughs> Buccieri and Weiss
1: they did um the Penn & Teller stuff years ago. Wow. Okay, so then what made you leave VH1? Um, so I did, I went through a few more bosses, Cliff Lockman, Stephen Taug, Fred Graver. Um, eventually Brian Graydon was running VH1. Um, and it was all good. I even had the opportunity to leave and go work for Lauren Zelaznick again at one point at Trio. She wasn't at Bravo yet. And trio was the precursor with Andy Cohen. Cohen, Yeah, yeah. I interviewed with Andy and went and almost went to work for Lauren again, who I loved working for, and they made me a great offer. And I went to tell Rob Weiss that I was going to leave, and they made me a better offer to stay. And then it was actually Lauren Zlasnik who said, "Well, now you have to stay there because I can't meet that, and it's very good." and this is a good time for you, so you should you should do this. So she advised me not to come work for her. Interesting, um, which was interesting. But um, eventually, it was eight years later, and I had done a lot of growing and yeah. done a lot of different projects and a lot of development and more pilots than I can count, and everything from scripted to animation to game to did reality you do the docu. Zach Galifianakis show? No, but I remember it well. Because when you mentioned Fred Graver, that reminds me of him. Yes, that was his baby. Well, it started with Jane, actually. Did it? It did. Um, But Fred took it over for series. But I did do um, the Joel Stein show, which was pretty cool. It was an animated show that we eventually only aired in Canada because Mm -hmm. by the time it would have been ready to air at VH1, it was so self-referential that it took place at VH1, but VH1 had changed so much by the time it was ready to air that it didn't look like VH1 anymore. So funny. <laughs> so it was useless. But that was scripted. That was scripted. Yeah. Um, so what were your favorite unscripted projects there? My favorite unscripted project? Well, I married dot, 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 right. which the first one we did was I married MC Hammer, which was a precursor to all of the celeb reality on VH1. It was a huge project for me. Interesting. Um, That was really, that was really fun. Um, What else did I love? I loved... One of my favorite projects I ever worked on that never went to series was a pilot that I did with John Murray and Mary Ellen before she passed, and that was Abuna Murray. And it was a long con, and it was just so much fun, and working with them was so much fun. So someone, like, naturally occurring cons? Yes, and it was, well... It was just this big music con, and we would sort of have a mark, and we would it was always a band. And the band was so creative and clever because they were improvising and they were acting and they were making up songs and music. And I just this project was just so much fun. and it did nobody got it. It really it didn't work at all, but it was it was a blast. So things like that were, were really um. You know, we just got to do so many different creative things.
0: Right. I mean, that was like
1: the boom. It was really... And the other
0: funny thing about that that short story with Bonamari is that sometimes the best shows never make it to air.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, we have the graveyard of shows that, you know... Huge graveyard. We literally had a development (laughs) graveyard on the wall. Um, But we had great shows that made it to air, like Video Timeline was early days. Yeah. you know, I mean endless needle drop that was one of my favorites because it was, it was it was an easy show very inexpensive and it was literally just introducing the new music so I would do it like with Doug Cohen I was just in gonna the say basement. you work with you Doug? Know? Yep, yeah. Doug um Doug who's at Nickelodeon yeah. now in the music department yeah we would just like find these great you know new what was the new music of the day and how could we get it in front of the audience it was just fun yeah, so, so those were just fun.
0: Yeah, and it was such a fun environment, too. Just like it felt like, you know, young and, you know, it was sort of like before it felt like everybody was married with kids. You know, it was like sort exactly. of like Melrose Place. Yes, it was
1: the young <laughs> times. The young couch times. potato. Couch potato was fun. Yeah. So then Court TV was after, after yes. that. And then how, so how did I that happen? So I went to Core TV. Um, well, so then i had i actually had two opportunities at the same time i had just had my first child it was 2004 and um it was five bosses in and i and I went back and I did the thing that you're not supposed to do after you have a kid, which is you're not supposed to change your job and you're not supposed to change your hair and you're not supposed to change your home. And I think I did two of the three with both my kids. Wait, why can't you change your hair? I don't know. You're not supposed (laughs) to like make drastic changes after you have a child because you're all messed up. Right. Of course, I I didn't realize that. (laughs) Um, And I had I had some interesting opportunities. I um, few Rob Weiss had gone to Fuse and he was interested in me coming there at the time. And, um, and then there was this world at Core TV that I knew nothing about. Um, but Lynn Kirby was there and she was looking to go a little more pop and pop culture and bring that sensibility. And so someone had mentioned me to her and Lynn is one of my closest friends. She is. I love her. I love Lynn yeah. Kirby. I'm still trying to she's get on her on the podcast. She should do the podcast. She's Lynn, always like, do yeah, the yeah, podcast. yeah, yeah, yeah. What about this person? What about that person? Like, oh, no, I want she's, you. She's a great podcast. She's the best. Lynn's amazing and brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And and she was really wonderful to work for. And I didn't get to work for her long enough, actually. Um, but... Did you work for Ben Silverman's mom? I did for a minute. (laughs) Mary Silverman was there when Lynn was there. Well, this is what happened, which is really interesting. So at Fuse was Rob Weiss, who was at the time reporting to Mark Juris, the president of Fuse. Ah. And I had to go and meet with Mark after, you know, because they were going to hire me at Fuse or make me an offer. And at the same time, I didn't tell them that I was meeting with Court TV, but I had met with Lynn and Mary Silverman. And, um... Then Rob calls me as I'm going away for the first weekend ever away from the new baby. Um, And he says, you know, we've had a change and while I want to make you this offer, it looks like Mark is leaving and so they've put a freeze on the hiring and I can do it as a freelance offer. And I wasn't opposed to that because I just had this new kid. Um, But, you know, I wasn't sure. So I said, oh, well, where is Mark going? And he said, he's going to court TV. And I'm thinking, What are the chances of that? That's weird. Because I was interviewing with Court TV and they were planning to make me an offer. And I'm like, huh, I have to somehow talk to Mark without Rob so I could figure out, you know, what I should do. Kismet. So it was kind of weird, but I got myself... I strategized all weekend with my husband and I got myself back into Rob's office and said, I'd really like to talk to Mark. And I kind of told Rob the story. I was pretty honest. And I said, you know, I'd been talking to core TV and, and they, they would like me to come there and I'd really like to talk to Mark and Rob being very gracious and, and very, um, you know supportive said yeah no you should definitely come talk to mark and he brings me right into mark's office and sits me down and then sits down with me so i can't be very candid <laughs> so i did my best in talking to mark who i really didn't know at the time and and he just kind of handed me his card at the end and said come join the investigation that's <laughs> hilarious so i called him on the on the fly afterwards to just reconnect. And he gave me a whole bunch of reasons why he was going over to court and they seemed pretty reasonable to me. So I took the job and got there before him. And that's so funny. Yeah. So he came like five weeks later. Crazy. So spoiler
0: alert, that happens to be Lauren's boss now, but we'll get to that in a bit. So, um,
1: so you went to Court TV as a, as a VP. I think I was actually the senior director at the time. Oh, Okay. And then how you were there a while. I was there for four years. So okay. I was there when Quirt it converted TV to true. And we we transitioned to True TV. We launched True TV there. And that was really exciting.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was a that was huge. very big rebrand. Yes. It went from, you know, all crime to sort of like Lizard look towing. Yes. And <laughs> Lizard Lick was one of my biggest shows. Um
1: yeah. yeah. No, we um, you know, we first started with transitioning. Mark was Mark's a brilliant Marketing mind. I mean, he's a he's a great programmer and a great storyteller, but he's a brilliant marketer too. And he sort of saw the biggest problem. I remember sitting in one of his meetings where he said, "We're like a boy named Sue. We are, you know, a a, a channel called Court TV that doesn't do court shows. (laughs) Boy named Sue. You know, that's a you were misnamed. Yeah. Um. So, but we were only independent at that time. We weren't part of fully part of Turner yet. So. Um, because we were independent at that time, we sort of did this, uh, twofold thing where we called the daytime something and we called the nighttime something. And I think the nighttime was seriously entertaining tagline. I can't remember the daytime, but, um. But we started to develop off of Cops because Cops was working with this young male demo, right? And so I remember calling Bruce Nash and saying, you know, we need you here. You know, what can you do? And then we started to do most shocking and most daring and most dangerous, and all these shows that would play on the Cops demo. And at the same time, we did a project with you, that's Suburban right, Suburban Secrets. Secrets. That ended up going
0: a while. It but went that for, that for was a very long at time. Court, that, was court. that was court.
1: That was court. And did we make it to True for didn't a little make while. It to true. But it, it was. Um, we called it Bitchy Forensic Files. Right. It was right at was the like time. It like Desperate Housewives. Exactly. It was right at the time of Desperate Housewives. It was a yeah. brilliant pitch. And it went on for a long time. And do you know that at ID, Henry Schleif, who was running court at the time, he said... He launched a show. I can't remember the name of it. It but was he, super similar. Super similar. Yeah. And he said, where suburban secrets left off, <laughs> this show picks up. <laughs> he literally used it. I'm like, it. he's just calling yeah. it
0: out. It looked exactly right. The saturated the color, the
1: narrator, the, the whole thing. Wait, he was running Core? You mean he was running ID? He was, no, he was court TV. When was we, he? Yes, when Mark ah. Mark was brought to court TV by Henry Schleif. Oh, God. I can't keep yes. track. And Art Bell was there, too. Oh, my gosh. Um. Okay, so then- you were at
0: True for four years. So yeah, or Court sorry. True. Court, court so, <laughs> True.
1: So True, two years after my time into Court TV, um, True TV evolved and it was at the same time and the ability came from this, um, the ability to launch True TV. It was at the same time that um, they bought us Holy and we became part of Turner. Time Warner brought us Holy, right, we became right, right. part of Turner and... Um, and that kind of gave us the the bandwidth and the financial ability to rebrand and you know be able to promote on TNT and TBS and that kind of thing. So we we developed True and we launched True and we did it off of our our we had this kind of sub-brand inside Court TV called Red, real exciting and dramatic. And that was the most shocking and the most daring, mm-hmm. the cop stuff. And so we were building this 18 to 49 male demo. And that's what we kept building on when we were doing true. And that's what made True so successful. And True became a top ten network. I know, it's weird. The evolution has yes. been
0: uh well they I mean they kind of got away from what they went you guys away from it. Away. They went into something else. Right. They leaned into comedy. Yes. Um, interesting. Okay. So then you left to go to, I want to say RDF. That is correct. Yeah. yeah. And that was your first foray on the production, production side. side. Were yes. you just sort of like curious? I try was that exhausted.
1: Out? <laughs> <laughs> I was exhausted. Like, I'm done. I had my second baby. Yeah. And again, she decided to get a new job right after having a second baby. It's I was commuting for the first time. Right. Um. And I was fed up with Craig Poligian, and he knows this. I was fed up with Craig Poligian, and he's the one who pushed me over the edge. Wait, because what show was he doing? He for was you? doing a show called Man Versus Cartoon. Okay. A pitch I took over breakfast at I think the Ritz with him in New York. And it was one of these like, you know, we could never do this. And I read this thick pitch cover to cover and i'm like we could never do this and i really want to because it was basically it was so perfect for the demo in that 18 to 49 and we were going to blow shit up and um it was sort of this mythbusters uh meets wily e. coyote um you know could all the experiments that wily e. coyote did in the cartoon actually be done and there was this group at this university that was trying it. Right. So it was real and right. it was in a real place and it was it was really, really fun and exciting. And I was a huge Looney Tunes fan. <laughs> and I knew all oh, no. of the Bugs Bunny and all of the Woody Woodpecker, all of it. Yeah. I loved it, yeah. loved it, loved it. And so I loved the Roadrunner cartoons. And all the meep meeps. And and so, I, me too. I couldn't. So you know, did it. Did it become we a series? Did it. it became a series. I was What's on the maternity leave. On that? It was a disaster. The <laughs> casting was totally different from the development. Uh, it didn't work at all. It was a total bomb and it really didn't hold together well as a show. And I I had been on maternity leave while the show was kind of coming together. And so by the time I came back, it was just such a mess. And and Craig was just yelling at me all the time. Right. <laughs> so
0: for for the uninformed, you have you don't know Craig or haven't worked with Craig. And I I you know I love him. I, I will say I met him only a few times, but his reputation definitely precedes him, and and it definitely includes a lot of yelling at network executives, which always amazes me because as someone who has not had the luxury to be able to yell at network executives, uh, and I don't know that you know even if I was in his position I would I'm always amazed by, I mean, there are some, by the way, you say you love him.
1: There are some that do not and will not work with him. That is true. But I had a good working relationship with Craig and it it was because we had done other projects together as well. And because I really didn't want to, I had met him back when I was at Court TV and he had pitched us um, Ghost Hunters and I wanted to do it. And I think Lynn Kirby also wanted to do it. And it was actually um, Art and Henry who weren't getting behind it at the time. And it was a shame because it was a good yeah. uh, show for us at court at that time. But we didn't do it. But I was really respected that success. And um, and then eventually we did a show together when Mark was at court called Bounty Girls, which was super fun. Yeah, I remember and that. Hard to do. Uh, not incredibly successful. It was just OK. Um, but but it was we actually worked well um, and really and, and made a show that was pretty good. Um, and so, you know, we continued the relationship over the years and, and- Do you have a show with him now? No, but we did have David Tutera for a very long time. Oh, I didn't know that was Pilgrim. It was funny that it was Pilgrim because I was so used to Craig's 18 to 49 male demo work that when I came to WeTV and said, are you kidding? They do David Tutera? Um, but they did. And we did a lot of versions of David together for the last six years. We just recently stopped doing that show in the last year. Right. Um, Okay.
0: Yeah, I want to get to to we in a moment. So the RDF, uh, I know we got away from it
1: a little bit. Oh, yeah. That was a couple years? Yeah, so I was there for a couple years. Um, I actually, I thought I was going, you know, I was tired of the male 18 to 49. I was exhausted. I came out here on a business trip and was sitting down to talk with Chris Colan about um, some stuff for True TV. I was having him do some casting for a show called All Worked Up. And um and we got into talking about um me working for him and yeah, I never really had thought about it, but I was really, I had just been yelled at again and <laughs> and I was really tired and I was commuting five days a week. Yeah. It takes its toll. It took a toll. And I said, you know what? It might be time to do something else. And and I wanted to do, you know, in my mind, I was making like, you know, makeover shows. I think I, in my mind, I was doing say yes to the dress, <laughs> right, right. doing something completely different. Right. And unfortunately, and probably also fortunately, I ended up um, just inheriting my own stuff because we were launching. We launched the spinoff of All Worked Up. We we took Lizard Lick, the people, did a, a pilot. And by the time I got to RDF, I was going back to convince my old bosses, Mark and Darren Campo, we should do this as a series. That's funny. Lizard Lick the series. And so that's what I ended up really spending a lot of time on while I was at RDF. That's crazy. Which was crazy. And what did
0: I, I know I should know this, but what did RDF slash Zodiac become?
1: Like what so is it became? Zodiac. It's so, now Zodiac. Um, well, I know Zodiac something is something else gone. now? Right. Yeah, I don't know. Well, Chris left. Is so he's kinetic. He's now? kinetic. Okay. So he left, and he, which was a bummer for me because actually I loved working for him at that time. Yeah. And. Um, And we were, we were doing some fun things and I was building our true library, which was the irony. So funny. But, um, but I, uh, Chris went, Zodiac came in and bought the whole thing. And so Chris left and started to do, um, kinetic. Right. I was under contract at RDF for a little longer. And so that transferred to Zodiac and I did not enjoy that time.
0: Yeah. Transition I really did suck. not.
1: I didn't. The British right. um, guys <laughs> who came in really wanted us to focus on broadcast. We were sitting there saying, well, you realize our business is really the future is cable, not broadcast. Look how many shows unscripted are being greenlit by broadcast TV it's maybe one right because you had all these legacy shows and you get one season if you're lucky right you know it was very very hard to do and so you know I remember making a presentation about why cable's important why New York is important um and so I stayed there for a little longer and then uh when it was over um I stayed on, I think, consulting for them a little bit while I was figuring out my next move, which became ION, interestingly. I remember. I pitched you there for like the minute that you were there and that it was was
0: kind of a network. (laughs) It was,
1: you know, John Ford was amazing. And he was my boss there. He's the one who brought me to ION. And they had a lot of money and said to John and to me, we want to do originals. Right. And, you know, ultimately they really didn't. They wanted to... They wanted to try, but they didn't really want to spend the money to really compete in certainly in the unscripted original arena.
0: Yeah, I remember we brought because you were syndicating Criminal Minds and I brought you like the real Criminal Minds and you were really excited about it. I loved that. And then we actually ended up getting it um, to series at LMN. But I remember you wanted to buy
1: it and you're like, I can't. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. We try, tried to buy a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I thought Dance Moms was a good pitch. And I remember my boss at the time saying, oh, you knew that was going to be a good show. Good for you. It was the only boss I ever had who, who I didn't buy something. And he congratulated me on recognizing it was a good show. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so that must have been frustrating. That was frustrating. Yeah. And John left. I was there under a year. Um, but what happened was John left and he went to consult for an old friend of his at WeTV, Kim Martin. And there was an SVP job open at WeTV, so John was consulting while they were looking for someone. And sure enough, John and I spoke, and he's like, "Huh, I think this is the perfect job for you." And I, I thought so you went. So Mark didn't hire you. Mark, Mark came after there. You. Mark wasn't there. So for some reason, I thought
0: he brought you in, but it was he didn't. No, were, okay. I was there
1: before him. Actually. were you under John Miller? No, John Miller was whose job I actually you replaced, replaced. John. Okay, got yes. it. Yes. Um, no, I was under Kim Martin, who was the then president. Right. And it was John Ford who was consulting for Kim. And actually, and Mark Juris, who was still my friend and a mentor to me, I told him about it because he had been part of the um, Rainbow family and he had been at Fuse and New right. Josh and Ed and Kim and he was friends with Kim. And I said, call Kim about me. And he did. So it was really between Mark and John um, is really why Kim hired me. Um, so... Yeah, and then that was back in um, 2012. So you've been there
0: six years. Yes. And you are really, you know, you and Mark together are really creditive for transforming we. I mean, when you got there, it was kind of weddings we were doing a wedding show for you. I don't know if you remember. It got buried on Saturday nights.
1: Which one? <laughs>
0: exactly. Oh, yeah. Marry Me and NYC. Well, you re- you inherited it. Oh, but it. <laughs> I inherited I was
1: at the end, I
0: think. Yeah. I got there at the end you of that could, one. Exactly. You had no choice. Yeah. <laughs> was it was like, just on. Please air this. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and yes. so you kind of inherited a lot of
0: wedding. Like we I think inherited the Joan a lot and Melissa. of Melissa.
1: I inherited Joan and Melissa. And I will say I inherited the Braxtons. Oh, you did? I did. I got the, I got there in 2012. The Braxtons had already had a season. Okay. So that was kind of the turning point to build on mm -hmm. at that point, right? We were in production. Yep. And, and actually we were in production on that and, and we were negotiating with Tamar and Vince for the spinoff when I got there, they had been negotiating and I remember being on the business call and, um. And I'm like, well, you know, timing wise, you know, I was looking at things. I said, well, timing wise, if we can't get this deal closed, we can't do this show because we can't launch it in any other way than behind Braxton Family Values. So if they don't want to do it, that's fine. And I didn't know that Vince was on the phone. Uh oh. And he was like, who's the angry white lady? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Oops. And I was like, oh, hi. <laughs> um, but, you know, we developed an, a very nice relationship from there. So now we are in season Six. It's been a very interesting season. We had a walk out. Um what does that mean? Uh, the cast didn't show up one day. Whoa. It's all over the press. Oh uh, my god. Yeah, they, I need to read um, on this. yeah, it's a it's a good story. Wow. Um but they the the sisters are are coming back and, um, Amazing. and Tracy's been holding down the fort and we've done some really unbelievable uh episodes in the last few weeks. We've really been doing it in real time. Which by not by our choosing, but because we've had to. We're like we don't know what's going to happen That's next. That's cool. That's cool. selling so model. It is a little bit. Yeah. Um, and ironically, it's with Dan Cutforth. Is it's the Magical Elves. So, so my funny. old friends from 1997 are my partners today. It all comes <laughs> um, back. It it's all crazy. comes back. So you have okay. So you have that, which has been a massive hit. With, can I say something for reality fans? Actually, of course. Um, Flava Flave and New York reunite on Braxton Family Values no. for the first time in six years uh, the episode is coming in a couple of weeks oh people are gonna freak out it's really wild
0: <laughs> it's like the Were most you crazy bizarre at thing one for that show yes yeah that's amazing um Noah Pollock had... Um, I should
1: say I was at the tail end now that I think about it. Okay. I wasn't really there for I Love New York. I had I had left. Okay. I was at the tail end. So
0: Mark Cronin, that's... Yes. Yeah, he produced... He had... Yes. Uh, Noah Pollock had him on his podcast talking about that with Brian Graydon, I think. Yes. I don't know if you heard... Heard no, podcast. I didn't hear It's it, really fun. But that's fun. Yeah. Because that was just one of those, like, as soon as they yeah. saw them, they're like, that's a show.
1: I was the early days of that stuff. You know, like I said, celebrity. I married. Exactly. I right. was the very beginning of celebrity. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's incredible. And you guys have been really successful. Like you've taken what I think's really been interesting about the evolution of we is that you've managed to take do new stuff, but also take old stuff, reinvent it and have it work. Yes. So Kendra yes. on top and Mama June still hot Mama or not. June is, is really mama the June amazing
1: one. hot or not? Okay. Here's the thing. <laughs> America I needs think to know. America, I think Mama has really gone through her share of <laughs> transformations and she really, that first season, first of all, what led us to that was Marriage Boot Camp. Right. We had her and Sugar Bear on Marriage Boot Camp. They broke up And I literally came into Mark's office and said, I think we need to do something with Mama June. She's single now. Like maybe it's marrying Mama June. And we started to kind of ideate with um, Think Factory on that and went through a huge development process and um, and really learned through the process that she was planning to lose all this weight. Right. And she get surgery. She did, yeah, and and she was planning it. We right. didn't, right? You know, she happening. was telling us this is happening, and yeah. and the producers and also my boss was saying, you know, Mark was saying, let's lean into what's really happening here. Yeah, let's not try and marry her off. Let's right. try to lean into this this major transformation right. of this woman, which will be fun. And we did, and and that was a huge. So that was the highest rated reality show of 2017. The newest, the newest, really, the, the highest rated new show. Wow, in all of cable. Um, because it was really something. it was on and so she was hot, in my opinion. And now she, like all women who lose weight, <laughs> no, not is a bit of a yo-yo. like I am, and like many I of am, us are yeah that's funny. So I can relate, and I think most people can relate. and while I think she looks fantastic, um, she's certainly not the size she was. Uh, at the end of that first season, but she's she's been yo-yoing. She's been going up and down like like everyone, and and she's struggled with it. But she's also embraced her current figure and how she is, and she's in love. And we've chronicled that. We just finished our last uh, the season. Um, we're actually shooting again now. But um, yeah, she's she's real and she's smart and really yeah. And she um and she's fun and funny, funny yeah. And and like I said, she's in love, which is a really different side of her that we just chronicled on the show. And um, and now she has a granddaughter, and Pumpkin and Josh are living with her. And Alana just did um, Dancing with the Stars Junior. I saw that, which is amazing. Uh, We sat there in the audience watching her, and and it's crazy to see her a little grown up now. Yeah, she's she too is really growing up. That's Honey Boo Boo
0: for Honey Boo Boo rendering. So um, and I. I don't know if you heard, I interviewed Leslie, um, think factory for, um, Oh, you did yeah 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 uh, a couple months ago oh. yeah we didn't talk about uh, you know he, ta- he He more talks about like he likes the, the scripted, 50s right <laughs> and, and he likes his,
1: his movies loves his movies and movies. his scripted exactly but you know what Leslie's been an incredible partner to us and all of the think factory guys Adam and Adam and Adam and I said everyone Adam here's Reed. named Adam yeah Adam oh, Reed Adam cool. Freeman <laughs> what we, is we that? couldn't
0: be doing those shows without them well marriage boot such a great incubator
1: yes right I mean by design it just it is, is like a, a you know fresh terrain for spinoffs exactly and We've done we've done some great stuff. We did Jim and Chrissy. We did uh, Mama. Um, we've had Kendra seasons come out of marriage boot camp, yeah. go back into marriage boot camp, come back out of marriage boot camp. Right. No. Now, what about
0: Patty Stanger? So, how did that happen? And were you? How did you feel when you got that
1: pitch? So that was Super Agent Lance Klein. I call him, <laughs> um, and I call him that with love and affection because uh, from my early days. In VH1, when I shared an office with Noel Siegel, Lance was, I think, on a desk at ICM, and he would call, and Noel would pick up the phone. Super Agent Lance Klein. <laughs> that's and <laughs> that's, that's so funny. how he got his name. Um, and now he really is. Yeah, um, he's the head of unscripted for WMA. Yes, and and a really great guy. And he was the one who called me and said, Patty has um, has finished her deal at Bravo, and they're negotiating, but there's an opportunity. And Mark was a huge patty fan, and I was a patty fan, um, and we thought maybe this was a good opportunity for we, because marriage boot camp we kept trying to figure out what was the dating space for us, where how could we grow that audience? Um, so we tried. Um, I think the show we did two seasons. I think it was a good show wasn't so different from the Bravo show. The only difference was location. You know, we sort of set it in a, in a retreat in a hotel, um, where she would do these weekends and it had a lot of, um, a lot of the same great beats and some more of the crazy reality that our audience always loves. (laughs) Um, and, and we loved, we loved it. We loved working with Patty, um, for the most part. That's not her reputation. No, but she was <laughs> she was a hard worker. Right. She was tough, but right. she was a hard worker and she was into it and she was into making it a success. So it wasn't for her lack of trying that, that that show. It was expensive. What do you think, knowing your audience and what they respond
0: to, what do you think didn't work?
1: I think actually it's more than just our audience. I think it. And I actually spoke to Jerry Leo about this recently, who runs uh, programming at Bravo and Oxygen. And and he, he and I were talking about it and he's like, you know, they would just run the sprockets off it. It was one of those shows that you can just come in and out of. Right. And we didn't program that way mm. because we have um, – other programming, you know, our, our acquisitions, we don't program where we run the sprockets off. It's not, it, he said it really needed to be in the environment mm-hmm. and it wasn't in an environment. Interesting. And so I thought that was reasonable. I don't know that it wasn't right for the audience or was right for the audience. I just think it wasn't in maybe its right environment. So maybe, you know, if you think about the Bravo audience and you think about that viewer, um, I think maybe Patty just belonged in that environment and not at Way. Yeah, that's um, interesting. But we did we did run for two seasons. She was she was not unsuccessful. I wouldn't right. say that. Right. But n- it was certainly it was an expensive show to do and hard to create the show keep going with a show that's very costly that's not hitting the highest numbers we could be hitting. Now was it the same production company? It was Think Factory, yeah. Oh, but they but didn't no, do not, right. Not uh, not intuitive. Um, Kevin, not not intuitive. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Think Factory. Interesting. Okay, so you have brought back Bridezilla's, he which did. is exciting. He did. Love that show. Um, it's a great show, and I think even better now with the um, new edition of social media. Brides have taken on a whole new kind of Zilla, so we've been successful in its return, and um, we're actually filming now. Is it? So wait, you're now
0: you're filming your second season, filming another season, yeah. Amazing! It will be the gift that keeps
1: on giving. Yes,
0: it should. Do you want me to cut as that? All, maybe. Um, <laughs> we'll as take that. All out.
1: wedding registries are. Yeah. Have you heard about wedding shaming? <laughs> oh, yes, because it's a Bridezilla thing, right? It is, right? Um. Yeah, people definitely. <laughs> people are mean on social media. I mean, oh that dress, oh that color scheme, oh that theme. You know, it is nasty out there in the internet universe. I know. And
0: apparently there's groups now on Facebook. I found this up because I don't know if you saw this thing that went viral last weekend about this bride that asked everybody to give her $1,500 cash. And when everyone said no, she flipped out and broke up with her fiance and like said she was going to South Africa. Oh my God. So no, the I reason people found that. out about it is that someone posted it. There's like, I saw this in my in my wedding shaming Facebook group. So everyone was like, there's wedding shaming groups? So I guess it's kind of it like really people is. calling out brides. Yes,
1: it really is wild. Well, they're calling out everything from the behavior of the bride to the um, choices in dresses to the choices in bridesmaid dresses, everything you can critique about a wedding. They're doing it. They're doing it.
0: Um, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So, okay, so let's talk about the larger brand for We. So obviously, like, what you guys are doing is working. You know, where you have
1: a new show that's a little we bit, do, ex- we do. you know,
0: exciting.
1: Yes. Kind of in the 90-day fiancé mold. Yes. It's called Love After Lockup. Um, it launched this year, and it was very successful. It um, actually grew consecutively each week. Um, which we rarely see with a new television series anymore. Um, So that was really exciting. And we found that it was really about, you know, the we sort of take on relationships in a whole new world, which happens to be prison. And, um, you know, it's a pretty wild beginning because what you're following is a relationship that has basically been developed while one of the participants in the relationship is incarcerated and the other is not and what happens when that person who's been incarcerated is released and intends to you know as promised when behind bars marry the person on the outside and where is this relationship really going to go once it's out in the you know in the outside world so it is a fascinating show it is you know worthy of watching and I don't just say that because it's one of ours. I actually have found many, many people telling me, you know, that they just love it because it really is so unpredictable. And I think now in the world of reality TV, unpredictable is really hard to do. It's Well, the great thing is it's unpredictable with the added bonus
0: of being real.
1: Yes. Sort of it in is. the 90 it Day is. Fiancé mold. Very authentic. It right. Absolutely. The casting is... Brilliant. Um, And we're actually um, really excited about bringing it back this year.
0: So was that a case of like you sitting down with Matt Sharp and saying, like, what's your 90 day fiance for us?
1: No, (laughs) this was actually a case of um, WeTV internally developing and uh, going to Matt Sharp and saying hey, we think we have something for you. Yeah, which is so, perfect for, um, I mean, there's a lot of parallels. Yeah. Especially were, in the unpredictability That's of it. exactly right. No, we felt that his show really was a good model for what um, the tent poles in these relationships are. And so he would have a good sense of how to follow these um, unreal, quite frankly, <laughs> relationships that yeah. are quite real and quite shocking.
0: Yeah. So has that opened up other avenues for you guys as a brand in terms of the kinds of stuff you'll
1: try? I think so. Um, I think that we are very smart and strategic about building on what works. You know, we've been very successful on our Thursday night, you know, very much about building on a brand that works about bringing in, you know, we're number one with African American women on Thursday nights, um, in cable and, we build on those docus and we have really been successful in the last couple of years with launching Growing Up Hip Hop and franchising that show out. Um, And so Friday has been more of a general audience for us in terms of our programming and we're able to kind of bring the Thursday viewers along to Friday um, and build into a more general audience, expand the viewership. and, um, And what we've been doing you know, with the cornerstone of marriage boot camp is of course building on those celebs that work. And that's how Mama June came about. Um, you know, when she broke up with Sugar Bear, it was just a great opportunity for us to say, Hey, there's more here. And actually we talked about that earlier. But um, but what I think I see going forward is just this expansion into these unique relationships. And I also think And this sounds very much like a network executive, but I will say I do find that it is much harder to find the unexpected anymore because we've all heard everything and we've all pretty much seen everything. And the internet has given us everything we could possibly not imagine. And so when you hear a log line for a show that sounds like something you have never heard before, that's when you kind of say, okay, I think I can grow this way. And that's what love after lockup was for us. It felt like something brand new. It felt like something unique and different. It felt like Oh, there are dating sites where people go on, and it's called dateaninmate.com. Really, <laughs> yeah. that's a thing. And you guys found your way into crime—the yeah, back way right. <laughs> in. Right, it's a back way in. Yeah. Although we don't, we, we're not planning to expand don't into the crime bring space. Crime don't bring us crime. To
0: but w- is there something that's on another network now that you would
1: unexpectedly do that people wouldn't expect? That producers wouldn't expect? I can honestly say no. Okay. Um, that's good. You no, know, right? I, I don't. <laughs> right, I don't think that I'm looking. You know, I think if I said things like low, I'd love love and hip hop. Sure. Who wouldn't like those numbers? And I know I have an audience for it, but that's not new and unexpected. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think there's a show out there these days where you're like, oh, I wish that was on we or I'd want that to be on we. Um, I think that, you know, I think we are trying very hard to just go for um some bold choices while protecting the viewership, and because right now, today, in TV, you really have to cater to the viewers that are already coming to you, because it's very, very hard <laughs> right. to break through right. to new people. It's true.
0: I don't end up interviewing, you know, I interview more producers and network execs, but I love having network execs on because I do love your hearing your perspective. Because of course, right, producers complain, network execs complain and never the two shall meet. So so now's the opportunity, right? So so speak to the producers in terms of like what what is the biggest frustration from your point of view with producers
1: when it doesn't really work? Like what should what do we need to know? Um you know, I don't think first of all, I look at myself as a producer. Right. right. And I, I have been a producer. I started as a producer. Yeah. I've been a field producer. I've been a story person, I've been an EP I, I've done all of the different jobs and, and many different kinds of genres. And I think that it is a tireless job. And I think that it is for the young <laughs> and the smart. And the optimistic. And the optimistic. <laughs> and, and I think it's very challenging. And I've pitched networks. Yep. And I remember you know, going to RDF for the first time. And going around to all the different networks with my, you know, my pitches and (laughs) thinking to myself, oh, my God, I feel like, you know, I'm cheating on a test because it was the first time, you know, in many, many years that I had been. You know, running around. And it was the first time ever that I had been running around to all these different networks. And they were people I knew and friends of mine and colleagues of mine for many, many years. Then now I'm pitching them shows and they're telling me about their network and what they want. And I'm thinking, you shouldn't <laughs> be telling me this. Like, don't I still work at VH1? Is this what year is it? You know, it's funny. It was very funny. Um, but, but you realize. But that, I knew how hard it was. Yeah. And I saw how hard it was. I saw how hard it was to get a development deal, to get a pilot. Um, we did them, we got them, but they were hard. I saw how hard it was to go all the way down the road with a broadcast network for them to tell us that we were gonna do something a certain way. Then I went and pitched all these different sales. Um, I, I mean, I I really, I worked endlessly on this project a while back for, um, it was basically a time-buy situation. We had to get the ad sales on board. And it was really unique. And, and, you know, you work endlessly and you create decks for all these different things and all these different brands and all these different, you know, audiences, which is what producers do. And only to eventually have somebody somewhere say, you know what? Yeah, we're not going to do this. <laughs> and actually just, it was my boss at the time who put the kibosh on the oh whole God. thing, which was terrible. You couldn't even get out with it. It was terrible. And he was, he, he did that because he had come into it. He wasn't the guy who started it. It had started with the prior boss. So, and that's so common on all that happens. Yeah. And and that's what happens at a lot of networks too. Absolutely. You know, people clean the slate every time somebody new comes in. Yep. So what would I tell you? I would say perseverance is everything. I would say, you know, uh, be smart and know what's already on the air. People tend to forget to look at what's happening that at still the happen? channel. It does. It still <laughs> happens even with the internet. Um, you know, I think, um, and I think once you're in the production, be open to the 30,000 foot view because once you're in it, you can't see it anymore.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that you just nailed where sort of producers and execs Go, that sideways where we go sideways because you guys are looking at your schedule. What's worked in the past? What hasn't worked in the past? What you're going to marry it with on the air? Pun
1: you intended. know what else we're working with? We're looking at the story, not from the perspective of having shot it. <laughs> we are literally sitting back and saying, I'm the viewer and I'm going to watch this cut as if I'm the viewer, because I'm not in the field when that talent told me to go F off. And I wasn't there the day that Glam took six extra hours. (laughs) And guess what, the viewer doesn't care and doesn't know. And so if your story doesn't hold together, then your story doesn't hold together. And if your tease doesn't keep me through that commercial break, then I'm leaving and your rating's going down. Yeah. So I look at the quarter hours and I look at the teases and I look at the story and we have a lot of meetings at WeTV about
0: story. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, actually. I mean, and you know from your own research into the viewer's mind basically what they wanna see and what, they, what they're expecting. I also know where they left. Right and where they left, and they and what is the secret is that they just love the drama.
1: Oh, there's no question. <laughs> they there's just no why. question. They need it all the time. Everyone loves drama, right? And you, at least, for, at least what we see. I mean, from what we can yeah. see, and you know, from the people who keep coming back, they're like, if it's boring, they're leaving, and yeah. if you don't tease. You know, we talk about teases the way we talk about clickbait. I don't know about you guys, that's but funny. I get a lot of weight loss things on my Facebook feed, <laughs> and a lot of them are like, "If you just click here, you're going to lose thirty pounds, like right now." <gasps> of course, you're gonna and How can you going to click. I am going to click. until funny. they tell me what food is in <laughs> se- secretly killing me and what is it I have to cut out of my diet so that I'm going to be, you know, half my size when I wake up the next morning. Hilarious. That's clickbait. Yeah, and that's. That's the secret to keeping a viewer. Yeah, yeah. What do they have to know that if they leave and go to another channel and don't come back, they'll miss? Yeah. This is all all
0: good. All right, well, we're going long, even though every minute, every second- Every second Was treasured. (laughs) Yeah, no, really. And I think, listen, the producer- network is that conversation is just an ongoing one that we should all keep having. Yes. Absolutely. Because I agree it shouldn't be adversarial. And I think it's like, you know, race in America or any polarizing issues.
1: Like we have to talk. If we don't talk, we're going to see our business quickly going away anyway. Yeah. We're all seeing the challenges. Well, that's my next, that's my yeah. final question, which yeah, is like, what is your next five or 10 years look like? like do you when, know what? I don't know. I do really think about don't it? have the answer. Um, I have adopted a philosophy very recently in my life about being present, and uh, that has been really important to me, and it has actually made me not think about five years from now and 10 years from now because I've made a conscious effort to kind of stay present, and I think that's just for my whole life, for my kids, for my career, for my marriage, my family. I, I just want to be more present, and so... You know, when I think about it, because when we talk about the future, you know, whether it's planning the next year's budget or planning, you know something personal, um, when we talk about it, um we do talk about the challenges of where cable TV is headed and, you know, what's happening with Facebook and Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and all these different places and and what will be. And the truth is, I don't think anyone really knows the answer. We thought 10 years ago, no one would be watching TV. Like that
0: was said at many, a real screen slash nap like, oh, well, in two years, no one's even going to have a
1: TV anymore. And guess what? We're still watching TV and TLC and Bravo. We're still watching TV Yeah. and there's still viewers to be had. And I don't know, you know, how we watch is different, but I think what everyone will agree to and agree on is that the content is still going to drive viewership no matter where they're watching it. We all know that content is still king. And why can't it be queen? And queen. It can (laughs) be queen. Especially a female network, damn it. It can be queen. It can be queen. (laughs) Content (laughs) is queen. (laughs) Right?
0: I mean, look, and that's it it at the end of the day. I mean, I always say (laughs) I'm going to come full circle on the interview by saying the way that I always prove that point is back in the day of VH1. The Motley Crew behind the music was my favorite behind the music. I do not like Motley Crew. I hate heavy metal, but it was such a great story that's right. that I watched every second
1: of it. That's so that's right. that's it. Yep. A great and story above all. A great all. story above all. That is it. And You that's, heard it here. You answer. heard it here. That's the key well, to the universe. Happens. Check back in in 10 years. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Lauren, thank you. This my has been pleasure. so fun. Super
1: fun. Thanks.